welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. My name is Christopher, and joining me as always is a woman of impeccable morals and a very model of virtue, or maybe it's just Lydia. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was trying not to laugh over your commentary. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a remarkably, a woman of remarkably sound character. You're correct. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, welcome, Lydia. Thank you very much for joining me. Well, thank you, uh, welcome to our listeners. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope that you are joining us through either iTunes or Stitcher Radio, two awesome places that you can get uh, our podcasts. Almost every month now, I've mentioned the YouTube channel and how happy I am with these uh, level of subscribers mm. that we've been getting. Yeah. And it continues to do so. I swear to gosh, it's like every day or every other day I get a notice of at least one wow, subscriber. That, yeah. I think we're up to like 230, <laughs> I think, subscribers. That is fantastic. Well, we have and some great material up there. We really do. And many thousand views, which, like I said before, is nothing for YouTube. But, you know, I think for what we are putting up there, I think it's fantastic. So mm -hmm. thank you all very much for subscribing to the YouTube channel. I hope you find your way to the podcast from there. And uh, listeners of the podcast, you you want to know where you can find the movies that we talk about? It's on the YouTube Absolutely. channel. There you go. <laughs> Tell you what, uh, YouTube or uh, podcast, whichever, if you want to come and talk to us, best way to do that is join in our Facebook group. Uh, go to Facebook.com and just search for Orphan Entertainment and you will find us. Now, we even had a whole lot of stuff going on there. Of course, when you're dealing with the media that we're talking about, it's not like there's new news uh, coming up all the time. But <laughs> No. Every now and again, something comes up. There's a really neat article from, I think, um, Duke University about what would be in the public domain right now mm -hmm. if the laws hadn't changed back in the uh, in the 70s, or I think it was. Mm -hmm. uh, some really neat stuff would have been available for us to talk to, talk about. <laughs> I'm really kind of bummed. <laughs> Maybe we should have an alternate universe month where we get to talk about those. <laughs> oh, I like that idea. <laughs> But trying to think how how can we work it there and actually talk, talk about, about some of these films? Exactly. Uh -huh. it, it's the what should what would have been exactly. <laughs> I think that's all the little housekeeping stuff. Oh, feedback! If you want to give us any feedback or anything, you can email that to orphanentertainment at gmail dot com. And speaking of which, I'll segue right into this. We finally, we have some voicemail uh, audio feedback, Lydia. <laughs> which sounds like a bad thing, but actually it's the good kind of feedback, not the bad kind. <laughs> it is, yes, it is. It's a very, it is the good kind. I mentioned uh, another podcast last month, uh, Cinema PsyOps and its host, mm -hmm. Court PsyOps. Uh, he, uh, we, 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 we talked about him a little bit. Well, he, he actually sent us a couple pieces and I'm going <laughs> to split them up through the show. Uh, one of which I, you know, I talked about his um, his movie watching when as a young child, and it was I, I guess I kind of insinuated that the you know, where were his parents? <laughs> See, <laughs> so and I said, didn't remember that, but he definitely addressed it. <laughs> he definitely did. He definitely addressed it. So I tell you what, uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to that, and then we'll be right back. In the last Orphaned Entertainment cast, Christopher had mentioned that I had what is possibly way too much freedom and that my parents were pretty hands-off. While my mom and dad tried to stop me from devouring anything horror or other questionable materials I could get my hands on, they weren't able to watch me every minute. And also, 
they had no control over an insomniac child's TV viewing while they were asleep. I also hit a growth spurt and started having to shave by the time I was 12. So most video store clerks would let me rent anything without even really batting an eye. There were plenty of occasions when my parents would remove and or destroy movies, music, or comics that they didn't approve of. But a determined child who is stubborn and really good at manipulation and lying will watch, listen to, and read what they want, and no matter how sheltered the parents try to make them, they're going to find a way. Which I did. I have no one to blame for my cinematic wounds but myself. And as the Cinema PsyOps mantra says, physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. <laughs> All right, so there you go. Oh, I can I can totally attest to that. Sixth grade, we watched one of the nightmares on Elm Street, and oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and I guess maybe it's one of those cases, too. The more you tell someone that they shouldn't do something, <laughs> or they want to do especially it. Especially <laughs> kids. We, yeah. yeah, we have that perverse curiosity, especially at younger ages. All right, so there you go. There is a, <laughs> Parents have been exonerated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll stop blaming you this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he also sent in uh, some comments about today's subject uh, film, uh, but I'm going to play those later because he get, he gets pretty detailed in some of the stuff, even more detailed than I think uh, that we're going to get into, um, uh, certainly in my synopsis anyway. But we'll play that towards the end. But uh, I want to thank him for sending that in and thank him for sending the other one in too. All right, well, tell you what, right now we are going to break and do a little promo, and then when we come back, we're going to start discussing this, uh, this month's topic. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to the discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. The film for the month is the 1932 pre-code Rain. Uh, you'll notice that as I go through some trivia here, you'll see that this film is a little self-referential for Orphan Entertainment. <laughs> the film is based on a 1923 play by John Colton and Clements Randolph, which was in turn based on a short story by W. Somerset Maugham. Uh, Maugham was a British playwright, novelist, and short story writer. And during his career, he found himself considered one of the most popular of his time. Like us. I didn't realize this until I... Huh? <laughs> I said, like us. <laughs> exactly. Was that what you meant by self-referential? <laughs> uh, that, that's just one. Just, just one, one of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, what I didn't realize until I began this research is that Mom actually wrote the novel of Human Bondage, which, of course, was turned into the film of the same name that we discussed in our last episode. <laughs> Referential uh, number one, and, and a complete fluke. Actually, we I don't we didn't. Yeah, that was not planned. No. <laughs> uh, that, that was into oh goodness, 
wonder how many more of these if we get in the pre-code, we're going to find the same names. Oh, yeah. The movie Rain was not well received critically or financially upon its initial release or its re-release in 1939. Variety said of the film that it, quote, it turns out to be a mistake to have a assigned Sadie Thompson role to Miss Crawford. Oh. It shows her off unfavorably. The dramatic significance of it all is beyond her range, unquote. Wow. Interesting, considering if you were to take this film into into well, into consideration. Uh, currently, it is remarkably the. It's just the opposite. It's her character in this. You know, having been unfavorable at that time period, at this point, is quite the opposite. The worst reviews apparently came from Joan Crawford's fans, who wrote to her to express their outrage that she had played a fallen woman. Crawford is quoted as, uh, as saying of Rain. Quote, I hope they burn every print of this turkey that's in existence. Oh, I don't no. understand to this day how I could have given such an impardonable bad performance. All my fault, too. Lewis Millstone's direction was so feeble, I took the bull by the horns and did my own Sadie Thompson. Mm. I was wrong every scene of the way, unquote. Incredible. So this is as good a time as any to talk about our stars here, and we'll start with Joan Crawford. She began her career as a dancer and choir girl, uh, signing on to MGM in the mid-20s. She found success in the movies, often playing hardworking women who find romance and success. Uh, stories like that were pretty were, were enjoyed by you know, the Depression-era audiences, especially women. And Crawford became one of the Hollywood's most prominent movie stars and one of the highest-paid women in the United States. Mm. Strangely, uh, her films began to falter at the box office through the late, uh, yeah, the late 30s, and by the 40s, she was actually labeled box office poison. Mm. She made a major comeback in 1945, starring in Mildred Pierce, for which she won the Academy Award for Best Actress. Mm -hmm. And then she would go on to receive Best, Best Actress nominations for Possessed in 47 and Sudden Fear in 52. The American Film Institute selected her as one of the 10 greatest female stars of classic cinema. In 55, she became involved with the Pepsi-Cola Company when she married company chairman Alfred Steele. And after his death in 59, she was elected to fill his spot on the board of directors. During the time, she continued acting in film and television regularly uh, throughout the 60s. But after the release of a British horror film, Trog, in 1970... Uh, she retired from the screen. I haven't seen that film, but I've heard it's not that. It, I've, yeah, I've heard it's something to retire from. <laughs> <laughs> well, the very name of it makes me want to watch it. But you know, I am a massive. <laughs> me too. I'm such a fan of horrible B monster films. I love them. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. No, I'm definitely going to look that yes. one up. Uh, she was forcibly retired from the Pepsi Cola board in '73. Uh, when some unflattering photographs were published after a public appearance in 74, Crawford withdrew from public life and became increasingly reclusive into her death in 1977. Now, by unflattering photographs, so you could actually Google Joan Crawford 1974 and look at the images. They are of what looks like she was probably just in some pretty garish makeup and caught in some less than flattering facial expressions and poses mm -hmm. and flattering for 1974 i guess <laughs> it's not like she was you know caught with the uh the 
coat check boy or something like that. Well, is there anything very flattering about 1974 at all? That's true. Good point. She adopted five children in total throughout her, her life. Her relationships with the two older children, Christina and Christopher, were pretty horrible. And Crawford disinherited the two. And after Crawford's death, Christina wrote a tell-our memoir titled Mommy Dearest, which would be adapted for screen in 81 and star Faye yes. Dunaway. Huh. I think we're all pretty familiar with that, or certainly some scenes or lines from it. Mm-hmm. Even if you haven't actually seen the film, I, I'm scared to death of using wire hangers. <laughs> and I, I don't think I've ever seen the movie. Well, now I have to see it. <laughs> I'm familiar with the title, but I just always thought it was a horrifyingly terror, like scary film. So I, I don't know. Now I have to see it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, let's move on to Walter Houston. Walter Houston, who plays our main antagonist, Alfred Davidson, uh, we've seen once before on the podcast. He's yes. starred in 1945's And Then They Were None, yes. which we covered uh, <laughs> a while back. He was Canadian-born and almost quit acting early in his career. A uh, construction worker by trade, he used his spare time to go to acting school. And he toured with several play- plays, but quit acting and went to work at a Missouri Power Company in 1904 when he married. By 1909, though, the marriage was kind of on the rocks. And after the divorce, he turned to vaudeville, where he met a partner and future wife, Bioni Whipple. The two stayed in vaudeville till the 20s. Houston moved from vaudeville to Broadway and then to the talkies. Uh, his first major film role was portraying the villain in The Virginian opposite Gary Cooper. His son, John Houston, went from a screenwriter to an Academy Award winning director to actor. And all of his grandchildren have become actors, including Angelica Houston, as well as his uh, great grandson. So a long uh, acting family there. It's probably also worth noting that he was in many well-known movies the maltese falcon and oh, just, oh yeah i kind of gave a john or, or um, walter houston a, a kind of short shrift on the on the trivia no he incredible filmography mm-hmm. some great films and he's he you could almost trade him for gregory peck in some of his roles he just the way he carries himself the way he speaks hmm. you could easily see him in something like to kill a mockingbird or moby dick or, or something along mm. those lines yeah definitely i, I mean as that kind of not evil, but definitely kind of that, do I want to say protagonist that you just, maybe <laughs> that he's just, he's creepy. That's the word. I was trying to think of a different word for creepy, but in, especially in rain. Oh, uh, definitely in rain. When we get into it, we'll definitely talk he's about it. He's very you know, the, good at it. And it's interesting yes. that they chose him to play opposite um, Joan Crawford, because in, in I, th- I feel like these two opposite each other, it's interesting that Joan Crawford hated this so much because I feel like these two together in this movie portray such an accurate image of these two conflicting forces that just are pounding against each other. But I'm sorry, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I'll let you go ahead with the synopsis. And let me just give one more little nod back to previous episodes of our podcast. If you remember back to our coverage of road to Bali, yeah, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby notice a sign uh, on the wall of their island uh, bedroom that states, Sadie Thompson slept here. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> of course, I wouldn't have made that. I, 
I hadn't seen this film until after the last time I saw that. But that I always wondered. <laughs> I always thought, who the heck is Sadie Thompson? That it is makes hilarious. so much more sense now. It does. That is so interesting. Well, now we know. All right. Well, let's get a little bit into this synopsis of the movie Rain. The film we begin with, well, rain. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Imagine that. <laughs> it's the South Seas Island Pago Pago. And it is apparently the rainy season. Uh, during this downpour, we get a little bit of uh, some scenery among the islands. And we see that there is a uh, U.S. Marines presence on the island. It's interesting because it opens up so dark. Even though this is set in a South Seas island, it I, I felt like it was almost, it was very film noir. It was sort mm. of dark and forbidding and the music and really catered to that and the the scenery behind the titles even though it's obviously on an island and there are palm trees it's just very very dark and i loved that the second time i watched it particularly i noticed uh as these soldiers are marching along in this downpour and this sludge the words that they're singing are exactly the opposite of what you're seeing it says it never rains here it's always sunny and everything's bright and clean and they're tromping through mud so it's interesting Mm -hmm. you definitely get this you know, conflicting story. Oh, it's thick with irony, it, right? Off yes. The start. Yeah. yeah. It's, you're just, everything that seems to be, it's just anything that seems good and clean is really very dirty and dark and awful. Well, we meet the owner of a local hotel and general store, Mr. Horn. Uh, the soldiers need their cigarettes. Apparently Mr. Horn is pulled from his dry slumber to go and get them. <laughs> Uh, from that point, we, we get in a series of uh, passport examinations. Uh, we meet Mr. and Mrs. McPhail and Mr. and Mrs. Davidson. Uh, the latter pair are missionaries or reformers, as Mr. Horn uh, will later call mm-hmm. them. And they are planning on just making a, a stopover pa- at the Pago Pago before heading to another island. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the crew of their next ship has come down with cholera, and it'll be days before they'll be able to leave. Well, Mr. Uh, Mr. Horn, at this point, he, the sol- him and one of the and the whole group of Marines are on on board the ship, uh, going to pick up you know the cigarettes or whatever package that they need to to pick up. And uh, it's obviously Mr. Horn knows uh, the Davidsons from previous visits, and politely introduce, oh, welcome, you know, does all the nice stuff. And then as he walks away, he he gives us a great bit of info on Mr. Davidson and what he thinks about him. Oh, I love it too. It. Uh, as they're doing this introduction, the Davisons say, oh, we're stuck here for, you know, for several days. And and I love it because Joe, which is Horn's first name, he says, oh, that's tough luck uh, for your folks. I mean, <laughs> immediately you can tell he doesn't care for this guy at all. <laughs> I love it. What's the matter, Joe? If anything, I hate it's reformers. Huh? So that's what's the matter with them. Yeah. You'd better watch yourself while that lovely couple is on the island. They'd break your back to save your soul. What's his badge? An investigator of native condition. A professional reformer. He wields more influence in the South Seas than the sun, the planets, and the American government. <laughs> the voice suggests world of wisdom. Great line from that from that clip is they'll break your back to save your soul. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. I think we've all known people like that. Uh, absolutely. All right, finally, the moment we've all been waiting for now, we meet Miss Sadie Thompson. 
CD gets acquainted with Mr. Horn and the Marines with a couple of drinks. Did you get the impression that it was kind of hard to tell? At first, I thought that maybe Mr. Horn and Sadie had met before, but I, I get the impression that maybe Mr. Horn is just pretty friendly to just about anyone that comes or comes to the island. Yeah, I, I think that that's kind of one of the, as they introduce Sadie, you know, they say, oh, I want you to know Sadie Thompson. And she's like, hi, guys, you know, hello, boys. And I think she's just got that kind of happy-go-lucky, ha- glad-to-know-anybody kind of attitude. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like Horn is very much the same way. You know, he's the proprietor of this the store, and he's just going to make friends with everybody because it's a small island, and you're either friends with everybody or you're enemies with everybody. I, and I, I definitely didn't get the impression they knew each other beforehand. Okay. But I definitely, you know, but they have that just free flow kind of camaraderie. During the walk back to the hotel, Mr. McPhail and Mr. Horn uh, have a great conversation between the two of them. Um, And you'll you'll have to forgive me for the length of the next clip that I'm going to put in here. But it was just really, it was all too good to like leave out. And there's no way I could describe it with any good detail. So you're just going to have to listen to it. (laughs) I hear life's terrible back home in the States now. How so? Everybody being made to behave. Yes. We live in the day of the new commandment. Thou shalt not enjoy thyself. I saw it coming 20 years ago. That's why I left Chicago. I wanted peace. Gad, I found it too. Friend, you behold here the last remnants of an earthly paradise. That's my quarrel with reformers. They won't let it alone. Yes, I can readily see how a reformer might feel a little out of place here. Uh, sort of like a school mom waking up in a harem. <laughs> I'll take these islanders, doctor. They're naturally the happiest, most contented people on earth. They ask nothing of life except to be allowed to eat and sing and dance and sleep. Thinking gives them a headache. The trees and the sea gives them all the food they want, so they don't have to fight. They're satisfied with their gods of wind and wave. And along comes Mr. Davidson and tells them they're lost souls. They've got to be saved whether they want to be or not. Too bad man couldn't develop a soul without losing the Garden of Eden. <laughs> You're a philosopher, Doctor. No, I just look on. Ditto, brother. And I guess we both see the joke. <laughs> I, I like the fact that Horn and McPhail... McPhail is not a bad guy. He is, obviously, I guess... I don't know if he knew uh, the Davidsons prior or if it was just someone someone he and his wife got acquainted with on, on the, the ship. ship. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So they're stuck in the same situation, maybe going the same direction, but they're not the kind of people that they would typically choose to spend their time with. Exactly. Whereas Horn, maybe McPhail and Horn actually seem to really get along. I mean, they are—they have a really great, intelligent conversation mm-hmm. between the two of them. Yes, you get a really quick and very clear idea of who the Davidsons are, even before you see their faces. Mrs. Davidson is complaining about how long it's taking to get through the passport process. And then when she gets up to the counter, she keeps saying, you know, over and over, you hear the man announcing, please have your passport ready. And she gets up there and she puts her bag down and she starts digging through it. And, you know, complaining still about how long it's taken and telling the man to just be patient. And then when he goes to hand it back to her, she tucks her hair up and says, oh, just put it down on the counter. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's very clear that she especially and probably her husband as well are only interested in their own comfort and their own morals and ideals and 
don't take any account of anybody else. I think it's interesting how we find we learn a lot about them from Horn and McPhail and his com- in the conversations between the two of them. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when you 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 hear that you see that you you know that's kind of like oh well that's their point of view but no that that, that really is who the Davidsons are. I mean we find out it everything is. we need to know about the Davidsons. It's an honest opinion of these people, and it's, <laughs> and it's an very accurate one. Accurate yes. one, yeah. <laughs> Well, now we're at the hotel. Uh, Sadie and the boys have a little party with a uh, with some drinking music, and Sadie ends up getting a reprimand from Mrs. Davidson for you know this is the Sabbath and she shouldn't be out dancing like that. I think even Mrs. Davidson even makes a point that she would uh, the next night uh, they really need to work on knitting up the mosquito nets. Yes. And Mr. McPhail's like, well, what's wrong with the night? I don't really like the idea of getting bitten up. And she's like, well, it is the Sabbath. I hate the idea. Yeah, I, don't, uh, I don't care for doing sewing. I love, she says, <laughs> well, it would be different if there were a tear in your garment that would expose you indecently. But being yes. bitten by mosquitoes is fine. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yes, it's very interesting. I'd love, this is, I think, probably my favorite <laughs> line in the movie. <laughs> they are... Um, Sadie is dancing with the uh, quartermaster from the ship. Yes. They're they're dancing around the music playing. Uh, Mrs. Davidson's at the at the you know the, the landing of the stairs, trying to you know, yelling at the two of them. They're kind of not really paying her much mind. They're trying to be polite, but still you know kind of having fun with her. And finally, Mrs. Davidson turns to Mr. Horn and says, "Mr. Horn, does this sort of thing generally happen in your store?" Well, it is a general store, ma'am. <laughs> I love a pun. <laughs> and there are a bunch of little, yeah, there yep. are a bunch of little quips like that from Horn. He He's smarter than he seems oh, when he's first in- introduced. But you, this is a part two, I think, where uh, where Mrs. Davison asks him, he's, she says, that young woman, what is she? And he says, well, I didn't inquire. <laughs> and she's like, no, I mean, what type of person is she? Who is she? <laughs> but I love, you know, he, he even kind of pokes fun at her. I don't think... Anybody takes them super seriously mm-hmm. because they're just too serious. Well, the gang ends up moving the party into into Sadie's room out of the common area. They're they're trying to be nice. They're trying to you know everyone's stuck in the same situation, so I think they're they're all trying to make the best of it. Trying to and be they're, 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 yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, after the ship's quartermaster, uh, the, you know, the ship whistle blows. It's getting ready to leave port, so the quartermaster has to leave. He's ex- apparently been enjoying the drink a little bit more than just about anybody, I guess. Well. Well, and it's interesting. I think up until this point, we haven't even met Mr. Davis and we haven't even seen him. Yeah. And we, we then we barely got it, any lines out of him. We get, maybe got one or two lines out of him on the boat, and that's it. Exactly. And I, I didn't even recall seeing him, but um, but definitely at this point is when he's at his, you know, up until this point, Mrs. Davidson keeps saying, well, I don't know what my husband will think. You know, <laughs> and, it, and it's interesting. I, as we go on, I think. I just can't help feeling that she's actually the instigator in this. Maybe a little bit. That if she weren't so upset about it, he wouldn't have been forced to do anything. But she just prods him. Well, this is what I think is interesting. He comes in, and they have a scene. The the four of them, the McPhails and the Davidsons, are sitting at a a table in in the common area, and they're discussing. And Mrs. Davidson is, of course, all up in arms about what's going on and the loud music. In the other room, And Mr. Davidson actually seems... Rather, he's like, well, it's her machine. I don't see where it's, you know, he's, he's extremely exactly. reasonable. And he's like, well, it's, you know, she's not, it, 
she's not our problem. They, she, it's her machine. It's her party. She can, you know, they can do what they want. Exactly. And, but it was actually after uh, the quartermaster comes out, extremely intoxicated, does his little walk around the table. You know, oh, goodbye, Mister Davidson. Oh, and, you know, <laughs> over, over and over and over. And over. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, yes. Mister Davidson gets a little annoyed with this. I did actually put a note that uh, McPhail actually, I think, actually looks a little bit amused at the quartermaster while he's doing this. You you see him sitting there, and you kind of get the impression that he actually thinks it's sort of funny, but he's not going to show it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he's being polite to all parties involved, but he does see the humor in the situation. And at this point is when uh, Sadie pokes her head out out of the out of the room, and Davidson gets his first look at her, and he she gets a pretty stern glare uh, from him at that point. I would even say intense look. Uh, It's even I I feel like it's beyond him being stern. I feel like he's somebody else will say it later in a clip, (laughs) but you can tell there's immediately an attraction, um, which could be a negative attraction, but it's definitely a, uh, it's, it's something where he's suddenly interested in the topic where he wasn't. Yeah, exactly. And it was at that point too, that they go back into the room after she, you know, gets the stare down. He doesn't say anything to her, but he turns back to his, his, the companions at the table and he uh, realizes or suspects that she must have come from uh, Hawaii and that she must have come from, how did they put it, Iwile? I had to look this up. It, it's, I imagined, oh, at least the way I understood it, it was the red light district. Correct. That is exactly what it was. Iwile was apparently a very notorious, it was uh, right on a, uh, a port, I believe. It was, it was a lot of sailors. It was a bit of the red light district. It was a lot of crime, the um, mm-hmm. uh, Hawaiian and American and... Uh, Chinese, Japanese girls would, you know, find companionship <laughs> or offer companionship <laughs> to the passing sailors and dock workers. Uh, yeah. Does not exist anymore. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be interested to know. I really wish Barry was with us on this one. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. He could have told us that well, <laughs> assuming that it was Maui related. But <laughs> Well, determined that he is not going to let the hotel turn into some sort of brothel, uh, Davison storms into Sadie's room to confront her. And from, we don't go into the room, but we hear a bit of a commotion and we hear a crash. The music stops. And it ends with a, a, bit, a bit of a brief struggle with the Marines pretty much kicking him out, uh, out of the room. But anyway, yeah, so they have a little bit of a confrontation. The Marines kick him out and, you know, pretty much tell him that, hey, it ain't none of your business, this and that. The the party kind of kind of breaks up at that point, doesn't it? Or do they, do they yes. go, I think it does kind of break up at that point and they, they go about their separate ways. I think it's worth noting that during this time, Sadie sort of attaches herself more to one of the uh, sailors than the oh, other. Yeah, she handsome. calls him handsome. <laughs> um, uh, shamefully, I don't actually know what his name is. <laughs> I, I should, but I just keep thinking of him as handsome. <laughs> O'Hare was his last name. I don't know his first. O'Hare. O'Hara. Sergeant. Yeah. It, his first name is Sergeant. There you go, Sergeant O'Hara. Exactly. <laughs> Another moment between uh, McPhail and Horn, and Mr. Horn actually tries to, seems to kind of get McPhail to try to call off Davidson. He, he realizes that Davidson could cause some trouble. Horn doesn't want any trouble in his place. And what is it he says something to the – and I think it's early on, actually, he says uh, that that Davidson has more power than 
the governor or even the U.S. government in this area. Exactly. <laughs> he has, he has influence. He has weight that he can he throw influence. around if he so chooses. Exactly. If he chooses to. Horn actually kind of plays both sides a little bit here. Um, looking at, like, like I said, for his own self-preservation. I mean, he doesn't want Davidson making too much noise or causing trouble. And he also doesn't want Sadie to give Davidson a reason to. So he tries to kind of plead exactly. to, to both of them to just, hey, why don't you just, you go over there, behave yourself, you know, don't give him any reason. And then he, not directly to Davidson, but through McPhail, like, well, maybe you can get him to just leave her alone. Mm-hmm. She'll go in her room. She won't bank to any, you know. So I, I like Horns trying to be the mediator here as best mm-hmm. he can. Well, and, and you have to think, too, I, what is it? I, huh. Don't poo where you eat, I believe, <laughs> <laughs> is the nice way of saying it. But he's doing his, but he has to live here. Exactly. You know, regardless of who stays and who goes, he is, he's here. This is his life. Exactly, exactly. And I'm guessing if too much trouble is caused, he literally, it, I think he's worried that if there's too much issue, if Davidson makes out. too much a stink with the governor, the governor could, I guess. Deport him, Absolutely. Well, apparently, Davidson had already gone to see the governor, speaking thereof, and to report Mr. Handsome, uh, Sergeant O'Hara. I think at this point, uh, Sadie and Miss, Mrs. Davidson have a little bit of a row between the two of them. Um, oh, what is it she's saying? Oh, she's coming in here. Don't speak to yes. her. Don't even look at her. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, Mrs. Davidson's horrible. She really is. I, I, as much as I say Mr. Davidson is creepy, I think Mrs. Davidson is a bit of a troublemaker. I think she thrives on the drama. Oh yeah. Yeah. You definitely think that had Mr. Damonson not, um, not done anything earlier on. I mean, when he, when he was sitting there reasonably saying, Oh, well it's her, it's her record player, letter player records. It's it. You're whatever. I think if he had just not done anything beyond that, Mrs. Davidson would have just chewed his ear off later on yes. and forced him to do something. Yeah, she, I, I, like like you said, I, she's a troublemaker. She's kind of the instigator to a lot of what goes on here. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Davidson returns, and we hear about the governor's current stance on the matter. It's not his problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's a weak man, I think is what Davidson exactly. says. Exactly. But I think, he, doesn't he actually say, though, that if need be, he can be, he will push him in the right direction if yes, he needs to. I believe so. Well, McPhail, he tries to talk Davidson down a little bit, but it doesn't really seem to help. In fact, it's, I think it kind of sort of almost strengthens Davidson's resolve to do something about Sadie. And Davidson goes to have a private conversation with her. And this conversation pretty much consists of him trying to convince Sadie that she needs his help, and Sadie trying her best to say, thanks, but no thanks. This is your chance, Sadie Thompson. If you will accept your atonement without resentment or grief, the way will be found for you. I'll admit you've got me stalled. What are you driving at? What have I to atone for? Your life. Mr. Davidson, why do you worry about me? You have had your own soul and trust and you have failed. It is my business to show you the way to redeem it. Haven't I anything to say about myself, then? You can choose but one of two paths. What's the second choice? Destruction. Now, this was an interesting scene in the conversation, and there was times where I was like, I was, even though Davidson seemed to be, I won't say he wasn't 
completely forthright with what he was trying to offer her. <laughs> I, I almost get the impression there was times where she was either not getting it or maybe she was just politely trying to act like she didn't get it and just kind of push him off and like, no, thanks. I don't need your help. That's good. Even mm-hmm. though she knows exactly what he was talking about. She definitely, she definitely has, I think that's part of, I, f- I felt like it was part of her character that she is going to avoid conflict at all costs. Yeah. Okay. And so if she has to outright tell somebody no, she's going to avoid that as long as she can. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think you're right. I think whether or not she really understood, you know, at some point she says, oh, I, I get what you're saying. Thanks, but no thanks. Right. You know, so at first I think she is confused because you're right. He's very roundabout mm-hmm. how he says that he I have a, a gift for you. And she's like, you, you got a present for me? You know what? Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, it's the greatest gift, you know, and, and as he goes on, you know, uh, she she starts to understand. And I think at that point she tries to sidestep. But she's again, it's a, everybody in this whole situation seems very laid back mm-hmm. and very relaxed, except the Davidsons just have this stick up their noses. Yeah, I almost think that be- between <laughs> the two of them, uh, Davidson and, and, and Sadie, it's almost like they're each having two different conversations. Because he's, he's literally like at the pulpit to her. And she's like, yes. and he's, she's just constantly, oh, you have a present for me, boy. You know, I'd hate to think that you were sore at me. I, tr- you know, I'd li- really like to apologize. Sorry for that stuff that went on. I mean, she's mm-hmm. just kind of going in her direction, and he's constantly he's going in his direction, and you know, they they each kind of pass over ahead of each other. Yes. Well, in the end of all this, Davidson tells her that he is not going to allow her to spread her evil any further. I love it. And she says, you take care of your evil and I'll take care of mine. <laughs> it's uh, such a good line. Yes, yeah, exactly. And she finally has enough and, and threatens them right back. And this pretty much seals her fate as far as Mr. Davidson is concerned. And he makes a beeline for the governor. I think he had just gotten back from the governor and he was heading straight back out. Well, handsome O'Hara stops by and gets, uh, gets a good talking to from Mrs. Davidson before going in to now- see Sadie. Is this the part right before right before he goes in that she sees um, Horn's wife and and her, his wife says that man is a big something, and she uses a native word and she says it two or three times and Sadie finally says what is what is she saying to me and he says oh he's a witch doctor mm-hmm. she's saying he's a witch doctor and he's a strong witch doctor yeah. and and she gets this. The, this is one of those reasons why I, I find it fascinating that in you know that it was so poorly received and that she you know hated it so much because it, this is that's one of those scenes where when she understands what this woman is saying and it sinks in she really is frightened mm-hmm. because the more she thinks about it the more it's very clear that he sort of is a kind of witch doctor yeah. and she starts wondering if he can really make the kind of trouble that he claims he can make. Mm-hmm. O'Hara tries to cheer up Sadie and suggests she makes some plans in case Davidson actually manages to try and stop her from getting to Apia. That's the, the next island, the, her location where she was trying to go and where Davidson mm-hmm. is just determined not to let her. The suggestion of going back to the States puts Sadie into a panic. Uh, she won't or can't go to the States and doesn't want to return to Honolulu. O'Hara suggests that she go to Sydney, Australia. Uh, he plans on heading there in a few months after he shakes these uh, shakes these bars off his sleeve. 
<laughs> yeah, once his tour is up. Yeah, this whole this whole scene is so sweet because it's very obvious he really likes Absolutely. her. Absolutely, and uh, and she sort of, you know, she de- she definitely is a woman of some questionable character, and so she doesn't take him seriously at first. Uh, but you know, as he continues to prod and say, "Well, if there's a certain reason you want to go on to Pia, if there's somebody you want to see," and she's like, "Oh no, there's nobody waiting for me," you know, and he. And it's very clear he's got this idea of him and her starting life together yeah. in Sydney. Yeah, exactly. And he even mentions that a friend of his has already that he served with had already gone on the, the Sydney and he's settled down with a wife and I'll bet you'll be glad to see him. If you should go to Sydney, Lefty and Maggie have put your wife what to do. Yeah, can I just hear Lefty's wife yelping with joy at the sight of me? Uh, you haven't any cause to worry about Maggie. You two would get along swell. Baby boy, I know females. You don't. I got an idea what time you mind. But Maggie ain't the kind of a dame you're meaning. She's squared from the toes up. Funny thing, them that kick highest always seem to settle down harder. You mean Miss Maggie was sort of gay before Lefty came along? Lefty met her in Honolulu. They were both nuts over each other right from the start. It never mattered to either of them that they met in Evil Age. An evil Yeah. Knowing the worst to begin with isn't always the worst way to begin. Knowing the worst to begin with ain't always the worst way to begin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. I, and I like him. He's got some great, uh, you know, he's not, maybe he's not the sharpest pencil in the box, but he definitely, he knows what's what. And nobody, I feel like nobody in this movie is really foolish or unintelligent. Yeah. No, in fact, I think everyone's extremely intelligent. Everyone, I think, kind of spins in their own circles. You know, you've got a whole lot of people here that know none of these people that in any other situation would find themselves in each other's company. Exactly. And and exactly. so you've got what conflict you have is because of that, and the um, the relationships that develop are are because of that. Yes. Well, all seems right with the world with Sadie because there's a her and O'Hara make plans to, for her to go to Australia in, a, in about a week's time. I think he said the next ship that uh, is going to come and, and head that way. Well, the good feelings about that don't last very long as a letter from the governor arrives for Sadie. Apparently, Davidson has managed to convince the governor to deport Sadie back to San Francisco. And this is actually the 50-minute mark. And from here, some pretty serious I won't uh, stuff goes down. And I don't really necessarily want to spoil all of it. I honestly feel like we could get up to the point of where... <clears throat> so immediately after this, the uh, Davison comes back and... Say, well, Sadie and Davidson get into it because he says that... You know, she she sees him and she calls him some names and says, you know, he has no business getting involved in all this. And they go to talk to the governor, and um, and he, it's really very obvious. It's very true that Davidson really does have the kind of pull that it was expressed that he had, um, because there's just nothing they can do. And she ends up going to apologize, and he just is kind of cruel and there's a point where he says you know she says if she goes back she has to go to the penitentiary and he says he says well that's what has to happen and she says but i was framed and he says well guilty or innocent you have to pay Mm -hmm. basically and there's there's ah the part where he's standing up on 
the stairs yes. and she's down at the bottom. But I was framed, I tell you. Innocent or guilty, you have got to serve your sentence. It's the only way you can prove you are worthy of mercy. Innocent or guilty? What are you talking about? Where's your mercy? Oh, no. I guess that repentance stuff is off. Was it ever on, Miss Thompson? Whether it was or not, it's off now. You've got to go back to San Francisco. Straight orders from your private Helena. Oh, no, Mr. Davidson. Your God and me could never be shipmates. And the next time you talk to him, you can tell him this for me, that Sadie Thompson is on her way to hell. Stop. This has gone far enough. Oh, no, it hasn't gone far enough. You've been telling me what's wrong with me. Now I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. You keep yelling at me to be punished, to go back and suffer. How do you know what I've suffered? You don't know, you don't care, and you don't even ask, and you call yourself a Christian. Why, well, you're nothing but a miserable witch burner. That's what you are. Name. You believe in torture. My kingdom come. You know you're big, and you I know you're strong, and get the law on your side, and the power to hang me. All right. But I've got the power to stand here and say, you hang me and be damned to you. Trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I have had experiences exactly like that in my life. And I was standing at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> and it's just it's just incredible how it's just like this guy has, is so detached from any human feeling. But how his wife in the beginning especially goes on about how kind and generous he is and how he helps everybody. Mm-hmm. But his ultimate the end result of what he's saying is it doesn't matter if you did anything good or did anything bad. You basically, you just have to suffer. Right. Because you are who you are. Um, there's, there's so much that I feel like this is actually the part where it kicks off. Mm -hmm. And there's not a terribly lot of film afterwards, but that part particularly, where she, uh, I I, I want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She, you know, she's start, she's, apologizes and says, isn't there anything I can do? And she's basically begging him and he's insisting there's nothing. And so she goes the opposite way with it. And she says, basically fine, then I don't care. And you know, what is it? She says something like call, call the devil and tell him, or, you know, tell him that Sadie is on her way to hell or something like that. And, uh, and in the middle of her going off, he starts just sort of shouting the Lord's prayer from the Bible at her. Mm -hmm. And at this point, this is, to me is the the really good. It's like this is where everything the movie kind of stops and has this pivotal turn. And she's just looking up at him. And this is where it's interesting to me. This is the part in the movie that I just almost the first time I watched it, I almost couldn't breathe. I was so, <laughs> oh, my gosh, because it's having already called him a witch doctor. He's just doing this chant over and over and. She's almost, it's almost like she gets hypnotized and and slowly as she's staring up at him with this look of basically abject horror, this is not a person that has a conversation. This is a person that yells biblical verses when he doesn't like what he's hearing. And she, 
and it's this it's interesting because at that point especially the first time I watched it seeing the depth of emotions and the number of emotions that cross her face I honestly could not tell as she slowly begins mouthing the words along with him I couldn't tell if she changed her mind and honestly thought this guy is legitimate or if she thought there's no way he's going to let me go unless he thinks that I buy right. it. Yeah, I had that same thought myself. I was like, is this a ruse? And maybe, yeah, I think it was you know, a tribute to Joan Crawford. This is the part where I find it hard to believe that people didn't think that she was up to the task or people didn't like her performance in this is because you, you were, at first, your initial reaction is, oh, she'll just play him. But then... Her emotions. Well, I don't even want to go past it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I want. I really want to stop there because, yes, exactly at that point, it, and it's worth watching the movie to determine for yourself whether or not you think she really believes it or she just buys it or, or she's just playing him. But that's. It, it's just. Rem- I mean. Ah. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, but this is a this is a great point. Really- this is a great point. I think to jump into court second, uh, he had some comments about the movie Rain, and it it really his comments kind of pick up a, exactly where we're where we're talking. So let's go ahead and jump over to uh, to what he had to say. Rain, 1932. So when I sat down to watch Rain, I didn't think I would be as easily enraged by the behavior of the Davidsons in the way that I was. Well, when it comes to religion and the crusading behavior to proselytize and convert, I will admit I have some baggage. The Davidsons, wow, they are classist, bigoted, hateful people that use their particular faith as a weapon to manipulate and belittle everyone around them. Enter Sadie Thompson, a strong, liberated, and unapologetic sexual being that lives her life by her own rules. Sadie is in control of her own sexuality. When Mr. Davidson is drawn to that sexuality as a moth to a flame, his sexually repressed religiosity is inflamed in an effort to suppress those desires he cannot understand and control within himself. The culmination of Sadie's Christian conversion is representative in my eyes of all religious obsession to control desire and to control women. When Sadie is converted, she is gaunt and looks as though she has a form of disease that is eating away at her like a cancer. She has been manipulated and browbeaten by Davidson for so long, she no longer makes her own decisions, and Davidson has set himself up as a surrogate god controlling her life. When she is utterly in his control and bent to his will, he no longer has that facade of doing God's work and succumbs to his own desires. This is his downfall and the liberation of Sadie from his control. Wow, what a film. I really dug this film, and it is proof that censoring films leads to removing thought-provoking and soul-searching content that makes film so wonderful to me. I am glad I checked this out, and I hope my assessment doesn't offend your listeners too much. Thanks for uh, having me on the show, guys. He um, doesn't pull too much in the way of punches there. <laughs> he does get a little... Sp- <laughs> no. It uh, does get a little spoiler. And I, I do appreciate that. I know he must have been really holding back the uh, <laughs> a little bit of the uh, the language. So I <laughs> thanks, Court. <laughs> thank you very much for sending that in. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you for trying to for uh, not making us put the explicit tag on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
he had some interesting uh, uh, views. He certainly talked about some of the stuff that we were talking about, and then he go, even goes quite a bit further. And I think that's what's gr- great about this movie is if you watch it, I mean, there are discussions to be had on both sides of, of, of where you might sit on the subject matter. I mean, this is a great example of pre-code film, too. I was watching this and thinking, you know, we, we went through some of the, uh, the little uh, – checklists of what the a film should avoid in the uh, you know the, the code mm-hmm. and you can almost just go down and just check them off with this film right? mm-hmm, exactly. you end up with you know, religious not being shown in a good light check exactly. you know excessive drink check promiscuity <laughs> check <laughs> yeah there that's definitely true so and especially i think i think that court's right it what he says at the end about Censoring, that's where I went, about censoring films really leading to this, the death of discussion and thought, you know, not just specifically films, but anything that, well, many things that we censor really do inhibit our growth as a society and as thinking intelligent people. And you see that a lot. It's, it's so interesting that he made that comment, particularly, you know, in a, in a film where we are dealing with people who are very narrow minded and very, uh, unforgiving in their mentality. Uh, said earlier too, about you could have discussions on either side. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sat this, sat there and watched it and thought, and you, you to me, it came away with, overzealous religion is just as bad as anything. But, I mean, you could also look at this as, well, wh- wh- where's the evil in this? What was evil? Was it mm-hmm. was it his uh, uh, zealot nature and his uh, conversion and his, his, his bullying of Sadie? Or is it sin in excess? I mean, which one is really the true evil? Well, it is interesting. I would argue that the film makes the statement that it's not it's not a specific type of behavior but it's a specific attitude that is evil okay uh, i think you know it, particularly because you know, Davidson, you have to believe really is doing what he believes is right nobody can be that passionate and that much of a zealot without really believing what they're doing but at the same time it's not, you know, Sadie even says that he's not doing it out of kindness. You know, his his actions are not out of kindness. They're not out of generosity and, and forgiveness. They're out of this determination that people be punished. And so I think, you know, the, I think the film argues or at least succeed, even if it wasn't intended to argue it, I think it very strongly argues that it isn't the action so much as the intention that is evil. That well, see, defines and I, I would argue that maybe that's how she viewed it, but I, I would actually argue that maybe Davidson doesn't see it that way, that he is – he's thinking that he is helping. It's not that he's oh, trying – Oh, no, exactly. Yeah, he's not out to try to just punish people. He's trying to punish them for their own good because in the end, you know, he's going to – Bring them into this, into the you know the house of the Lord. They're going to save them from themselves, and he doesn't see it as any kind of doing wrong. But that that inability to see one's own faults is a form of evil. It's 
Oh, it's it, it, there. Yes, there's so many arguments you could make. Having, you know, it's interesting the court said that he has some baggage related to this uh, excess of religion. Uh, and I'm sure you and I have had discussions about how I was raised. And, and I, I am not joking. I've had, I've been in an argument and had a person begin shouting Bible verses at me to try and shut me up. Mm. And it's, you know, so it's, it's, so it is interesting. I think regardless of which side of, which side you associate with more closely, whether you think, you know, yeah, he really is doing the right thing and trying to help her. He's just going about it the wrong way. Or whether you're thinking, you know, no, she's really doing the right thing because she's just minding her own business. You know, there, you're right. There's, there are so many layers and, and arguments you can make. And that's one of the things I think that makes this movie remarkable is that it was seen as a complete flop and complete fl- failure. And that, you know, they, for Joan Crawford to have been said to have been miscast in that is ludicrous it's it's so ironic because she i think perfectly explains something (laughs) (laughs) the question is what you know whether or not it's what the the filmmaker wanted to express it's a very modern message i think i think you know it's it's contemporary to our time perhaps not to the 1930s maybe maybe a little ahead of its time is really what we're saying if we could kind mm-hmm. of step back and step out and be, you know, as if we were on set now and look, I just looking at it kind of critically is, um, I did think that maybe they did up Sadie a little too much to the point where she was almost a caricature. I think is when they first introduce her, it is to make a point. You're right. She's got these insane amounts of bangles on her wrists and way too much lipstick, <laughs> you know, I think I think they were trying to make a point, and then in it, but you know she's in a costume, but I think you know it's even I think that the character is in a costume, she is dressed a certain way to present a, a certain version of herself, and that version slips when she becomes in danger from Davison, and then it changes again after the conversation on the stairs. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, at one point after that conversation, she says, I'm, this is who I really am. And it's interesting because, and then, because, you know, comparing her with that first impression of her with the the lipstick and the the hat and the stockings and the bangles and everything, you know, you can, you can see how she really could be, can, she really knows she's been putting on a, a, a character, an act. But at the same time, you know, the real, the question is, you know, how, uh, it, I think if you look at it just without understanding the character, yeah, it's easy to say, oh, they just put too much makeup on her and it's really weird and awkward. But if you're looking at the character and taking into consideration, she really does know she's, you know, she's on the lam. She's running from something. She does know she's not a perfect person. It makes sense. I think for her to be done up that way and to be playing a part and to be faking the happy go lucky even. Uh, but the only other thing that I would really kind of criticize the film of, and maybe this is a little bit more of a directorial thing is, and without going into uh, the court, kind of um, cert- certainly hinted at it and I think we, we kind of get an idea of where this you read any synopsis you're gonna you're gonna know where this is leading but when Davidson sort of does his turn I thought it kind of came out of nowhere to me mm-hmm. uh, there wasn't 
a great deal of buildup that made you feel like that's where this was headed. Mm. See, and I, uh, I, I understand this, the first time I watched it, I could definitely see where that, that opinion would come from the second time, particularly, uh, there's so many, I think, hints to it when he first sees her and he gives her that, like I called it an intense look, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's interesting cause it's, it very much it, it, ha, having grown up in a very religious sort of society, I can see how he would be, uh, uh oh, a great line from guys and dolls. <laughs> she said, she says, uh, Sarah, sister Sarah says, uh, Oh, I've read all about it. I'm an, I'm abnormally attracted to sex and therefore I'm abnormally afraid of it. And, and it strikes me that it's the same sort of mentality that he's, prevented from being involved with any of that kind of lascivious nature or that active, you know, lascivious activity. And so of course it draws him. It's almost like we were talking about with, you know, with court and watching kids watching movies, they know they're not supposed to, you know, they're drawn to it because they know it's not allowed, you know, and as things go on, he, he wants, I think more than anything to possess her. He wants to make her an object that he can point to as being something that he owns and he controls. And just the next step of that is the physical reality of possessing her. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I think especially once he makes her what he wants her to be and especially once she is so entrapped in that and so wrapped up in it, she is, you know, demure and and humble and uncertain, and she's everything his wife is not. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me. There's, and I'm, it, this is obviously like really, <laughs> really <laughs> digging into it. And uh, sure, there's speculation involved there, but to me, it's a very, uh, it's a very plausible step. Um, and even especially, you know, we hear all the time about, you know, people in high positions, whether it be public positions or, you know, spiritual positions where they fall, where they have some kind of a scandal. And I, I just don't think it's that uncommon. It's something that certainly I've seen many times in my life. All right. Very good. I, I tell you what, I think this is probably the f- First film, and I probably no, no. It. Actually, well, I tell you what, this is probably maybe one of the first films in three years that has been the type of film that really needs this kind of discussion, and it really provokes this kind of discussion between the two of us. I, it, it really, it really does. deserves it. Absolutely. I, I could talk about this for another two or three hours, but we are limited on time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're probably at a good place to to rate. We are. And, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll let you go first because I definitely know mine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I am going to go ahead. I, I, I was really bouncing back and forth between like a three and a half and a four. It's an interesting one because the subject matter and everything is so modern, like you said. But the look and the feel of the film is still very much early 1930s. So it could be a little off-putting for, mm-hmm. for some. Um, but I would still recommend trying to, you know, slug through it if it is, you know, for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and definitely watch it with someone that you can have a conversation with. Oh, my God. It, 
Don't watch it with your overly religious mother no. or father. <laughs> Don't do that, please. <laughs> you, it'll turn into a screaming match on the stairs, and you don't want no, that. No, absolutely yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> or maybe that's exactly what the person you want to have this <laughs> the film with. Oh my! Depending on if you want to reenact the film or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but still, just on the fact that I, this is just the, the, the perfect example of what of the type of film that I think maybe even I was originally trying to seek after when we, when I started this thing three years ago. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give it a good four. I won't give you a five. Cause I think there are flaws. Uh, but I think a three would be disingenuous cause that just kind of makes it sound. Eh, it was good. So I, I will go in with a four. Well, I definitely, you're probably already saw this coming, but I'm giving this a solid five. It doesn't happen very often, but there, especially having watched it a second time and um, even the first time I watched it, as I said, you know, it's funny because I kind of was pre-screening it to see if it was something we wanted to watch or not. And I had, you know, I had gone through several movies. I still, honestly, these pre-code movies have got me on a roll. I keep watching them. Mm -hmm. I can't stop watching them. They're entertaining and and most of them have good dialogue and, you know, they're, they're even good, just background noise kind of where you can come in and out of the story. But this one, it it got to a certain point and I could not stop watching. Mm -hmm. I couldn't look away. And I think the, the more times, I think this is one of the movies that the more times you watch it, the more you see in it and the more you can read into it, honestly. But I always say a good story teaches you something about other people, but a great story teaches you something about yourself. And I don't think you can watch this and really think about this movie without learning something about yourself or thinking something, you know, or discovering something new about yourself or your attitudes or your beliefs. So I'm definitely going to give this one a five. All right. Fair enough. No, I think that, I, honestly, I, I think that is a fair score. And certainly for the reasons that you, that you stated. And that's, what's great about us watching these together is we have different viewpoints on it. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, <laughs> it's it's up to the viewers, obviously, or the listeners to decide, you know, whether they love it or not. But it's great being able to give some different, you know, you see it kind of as, uh, oh, this was, this was a misstep or that was a misstep. And, you know, I'm reading into it maybe too much, but seeing purpose behind it. So it works for me that we have different opinions on the grading scale. Oh, uh, oh absolutely. I think this would get really boring if we agreed on every one that we want. It really do. <laughs> no, no, it'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, that almost sounded genuine. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Really? Uh, I could uh, choose harder. <laughs> the, the comment you made about some of these pre-code films, uh, strangely enough, it seems like a lot of the really good pre-code films have continued to be protected by copyright. Uh, the studios have kind of hung on to them. And so we, so uh, there, there's still plenty out there that I hope that we, we can uh, we can watch and, and discuss. But there's also some really good ones that have been uh, kind of still protected and you can find on, on on dvd and stuff i picked up a couple uh dvd sets that i think tcm put out i think it was the uh, called forbidden hollywood and they were all pre-code films and so i bought a bunch of those home from the library to, to even though we can't sit and discuss them here on the podcast legitimately discuss them if we want to <laughs> as orphans, yeah, as exactly. orphaned um <laughs> they're just so entertaining to watch and be, just because they're just so so different than so many of the films that you got that you were used to seeing from the time period. 
especially in movies like this where it is it's almost staged like a play there's not a lot of scenery there you know it's obviously done on a closed set they had to rely more strongly on story and on dialogue and that really makes it more enjoyable you don't have big explosions you don't have transformers running around jumping on people and you don't have you know ridiculous special effects by michael bay yeah oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) i just had an eddie izzard flashback <laughs> the staircase of death, you know, <laughs> pond of Satan, whatever, you know. But that's exactly that's I think what makes them so entertaining is they had to have decent dialogue, they had to have a good storyline, just for people to even be willing to sit through it. So it's worth going back and seeing these movies, you know, whether or not we mention mention them here. Um, if you haven't gone back and watched something from this era, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that is going to do it. Lydia, this has been, oh my gosh, so much fun. This may end up being like one of my uh, favorite discussions out of all three years, really. (laughs) Well, I was really thrilled when you replied and said, oh my gosh, yes, this movie is fantastic. You know, this is a great movie to discuss. I feel like sometimes we come up with real stinkers, but this one, I've just, as soon as I, you know, I watched it and I think I emailed you and was like, oh, Oh my God, you know, you have to watch this. Whether or not we discuss it, you have to see this movie. You know, yeah, so I think I'm, you did, uh, and I even put it off. It's like, no, let's watch this one first. We'll do that one next month. <laughs> right, yeah, and honestly, it's it's one of those that if you just looked at it, it, it doesn't tell you really anything about it. And if you hear, oh, it's, you know, a, a preacher starts being mean to this, you know, woman of questionable character, you're like, eh, that's not something I'd want to watch. Right, right. <laughs> but it turned out to be, um, I feel like something that is, I'm, I'm just surprised. I'm disappointed. I think that we didn't have to cover this when I was in film class. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's just remarkable. All right. Well, uh, th- uh, yeah. Thanks Lydia. And, um, thank you listeners. Thank you court for sending in that audio. That is fantastic. <laughs> our, our first official, uh, audio, Yay. uh, comments and feedback. <laughs> if you want to be just like court, <laughs> <laughs> you can send this first you have to watch a lot of horror movies yeah. then <laughs> well even even if your psyche hasn't been warped by the films that you've watched and you'd like to comment on anything that we've discussed or any any films that you've seen that you think we would like you know be interested in send those to orphan entertainment at gmail.com or come onto the facebook page and uh, and, and leave a join the group and leave a comment there uh we're all very friendly we like each other it's it's a, it's a fun place <laughs> Uh, and of course, keep downloading episodes from iTunes or listen on your Stitcher Radio app, whatever you uh, you get us from. And subscribe to the YouTube channel, just like two hundred and thirty some other people have. That is awesome. <laughs> um, and yes, uh, so thank you very much, uh, Lydia. Thanks again. Uh, thank you, Court, thanks. and thanks everyone for listening. We will catch you next month. And whew, I tell you what, it's going to be hard to top. We'll we'll to see if we come up with uh, what we come up with. Yeah, absolutely. Come back to find out. All right. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you.